Welcome to Founders Uncut, the podcast that goes beyond the romanticized founder journey to discover the moments of vulnerability and doubt that even the most successful founders face. I'm Maria Palma, General Partner at Kindred Capital. Here with me today is Michael Rangel, CEO and co-founder of Novo, a challenger bank for small businesses. The company is currently valued at $700 million and serves over 150,000 small businesses. If you think his startup journey was easy, I assure you it wasn't. The startup journey is never the easy, straightforward path it appears to be from the outside. So let's dig a little deeper and uncover the real story on Founders Uncut. It was late February 2020, and Novo had just kicked off their Series A fundraise. They were flying back and forth to investor meetings in both New York and SF. And the strange beginnings of what we now know as the COVID pandemic started to show up in various ways. It started with signs on the walls in VC offices saying, please don't shake hands. And then pretty much all in-person meetings came to a halt. Another founder raising alongside Novo had flown from Europe to SF for an infamous in-person partner meeting, only to be told that morning to stay at the hotel and take the meeting on Zoom, which now would be commonplace, but was highly unusual at the time. As time went on, it became unclear if VCs were going to deploy new capital or they were going to hold reserves and focus on helping their existing portfolio companies survive whatever this pandemic entailed. But Novo badly needed to raise as they had about one month cash left in the bank. What were they going to do if they had to put the fundraise on hold? Yeah, well, first off, I want to let you know that I just had like a PTSD flashback because <laughs> this was a, an incredibly traumatic moment in like our history. So we started like early to mid-February 2020 and we had these meetings. People were pulling meeting invites, all of this stuff, you know, we're going to virtual, et cetera. And it was very weird. It felt like Although our business, we thought we, it was positioned in a very good and healthy way to raise a Series A back then, it was like the proverbial oxygen was like just sucked out of the deal room um, while these investors kind of just focused more on like triaging their existing portfolios as opposed to spinning up new conversations, right? Because like we had never dealt with the global pandemic at that scale within this lifetime. So it was like very, very, very foreign. I remember back then, like February 2020 to May 2020, you know, it was the most stress I've ever experienced in my entire life, like by a long shot. Um, and after, you know, I've had, you know, almost two years to reflect on it. Like, I feel that I was stressed because I, I took it as it was my wrong responsibility, you know, like I had a responsibility to my people, not to mention I had my friends and family invest in Novo at the pre-seed, right? So it's like, how the hell am I going to see their faces again at Thanksgiving when I say, hey, your money's gone, thanks, maybe next time, right? And so like when you think about it, like one of your main jobs as a founder or a CEO is to make sure you never run out of money. Like it's that simple. Like that is like your main job. Cardinal rule. And, exactly. We didn't have a month left of runway at the outset, right? But it was like, because of the delayed fundraising, by the end of it, we literally were like less than a month between just cash being totally out. Although I couldn't necessarily account for or forecast a freaking global pandemic, it was very possible at that point in time that I was looking 
at failure, like square in the face and like trying to reconcile with that was incredibly difficult for me. Um, and that's when I was just like, you know, I would have rather died than to let everyone down, not only, you know, the friends and family that investment with us, but also our team. Um, and that's when we, you know, put our nose to the grindstone and just kept pushing forward. So what did you do actually in that moment? Oh man, a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff. Um, I mean, we reduced burn by like 95% overnight. So all paid acquisition budgets were cut. We were lucky enough that we were still running with like a lean team. So our burn wasn't, you know, bloated by any stretch of the imagination. So we didn't have to fire anyone immediately, although that was kind of like what everyone kind of went to immediately. We had to give everyone haircuts um, from a salary and comp perspective, right? There were no raises until we kind of knew what the other side of this thing looked and like everyone had a buy-in. So everyone was fine with it. But that was the main thing. Like we reduced budgets. We tried to extend runway as much as possible. And during that same exact time when we reduced budgets, we reduced acquisition spend, we started seeing kind of like this uptick in other growth channels, which were way more profitable. And that uptick was kind of like this glimmering light of hope, right? And like that glimmering light of hope started to form this nugget of the future of Novo. At that time, we were all like, oh my God, the world is over. Somehow, even though small businesses have never disappeared ever in the history of the world, somehow COVID is going to kill small businesses for real. And at least that's what all the investors thought. Meanwhile, the exact opposite happened. People were getting laid off. People were going back home. They were being locked down. And what were they doing? They were spinning up small businesses. And what did they look to? It was online to go build those businesses and sign up for bank accounts. Yeah, no one was showing up to the bank to try and get an account, right? Exactly. And so at that same point, though, our insiders saw that, right? And I was reporting on that of, hey, guys, yes, we reduced burn. We did all this stuff. But we're seeing all of these things kind of tick off the charts, which is great because they're more profitable channels. And they're like, wow, like, that's amazing. At that point, we kind of configured this small insider bridge round to bridge us throughout the pandemic. It was very difficult for everyone involved. You know, it was a very stressful time. But without our insiders at that point in time, they came back to the table There'd literally be no Novo today. That just must be such a horrible thought to your point. Like when you're looking failure straight in the face, you know, what does that feel like? And how do you actually maintain your own confidence during that type of a moment? Yeah, listen, that's a great question because it's like something that founders need to face relatively frequently in the startup journey. You're going to face challenges all over the place. As it relates to me, it ties a bit back to my own personal story, and we won't go super deep down that rabbit hole, but it just has to do with like what I've personally gone through in my life, um, you know, over 11 years ago. Um, I was involved in a really bad car accident where I lost my best friend and roommate. He died on impact. We were ejected from a vehicle. I was in a coma for 10 days. I had to relearn how to walk, eat, and talk. Everyone said I was going to be a vegetable for the rest of my life and that I would never kind of like attain what I had, you know, accomplished prior to the accident. Um, and so obviously, you know me a little bit more than probably your audience, but like, I didn't like hearing any of that. 
Um, and I told all of the countless doctors that I spoke to who told me, go rest. Don't worry about it. Don't push yourself. Don't challenge yourself. I go, you know what? Go pound sand. Like I'm going to be better than I ever was ever before. Just watch me. And so, you know, fast forward and yeah, and here we are. So every day kind of above ground is like a win for me. So yes, these times might be very stressful, but at the end of the day, it's like, I'm here, right? I'm here. I'm creating value. I'm creating opportunity, not only for myself, my family, um, but the team around us. Um, And that's, you know, what pushes me forward. Thank you for sharing that story. I actually remember you sharing it when we got to know each other. And I think it just speaks to you and your character and how deeply you care about things and how much you push yourself to be better. And it's just something I knew about you from day one and I've admired from you ever since. And I think to your point, you know, maybe it gives you some perspective on other things, but I think a lot of people wouldn't have made it through that way. And I'm glad that you used it as an opportunity to do something better as opposed to an opportunity to, to give up hope. I mean, I think no one would want to go through that experience, but that perspective I think is invaluable, right? Like at the end of the day, we can always spend every moment being happy for what we have or worried about what we don't. And that's sort of our choice. Not always easy to maintain that perspective. You're actually the first founder I've had on the show that I invested in. Big Novo t-shirt here. Lots of Novo yes. love, as you know. You ended up having the inside round, right? And that that closed the story, at least in the, in the moment for Novo and allowed you to kind of live to see another day. But I actually, on the VC side, saw a lot of bad things happen to companies during COVID. And we actually are probably entering another recession or it appears to be that way. And I think everyone's been raising in this bull market for the past roughly 15 years and everything looks up and to the right and the valuations are great. But the truth is that when you have these challenging markets that you're raising and bad things happen to founders, right? People, they get diluted overnight. They get horrible terms. They get people on their cap table they don't want to have to deal with that are value destructive to the company. Like, do you have any stories or have you seen some things you obviously don't need to share who it is, but things that you've seen happen in down markets that don't tend to happen when everything looks looks good on the outside in the market? Yeah. So listen, like, yeah, I have heard a bunch of crazy stories, but like, I, I also honestly don't think that's where we should focus because it's like, sure, I can pontificate here of like how bad, bad can be. But like, at the end of the day, the startup journey is bad and it is freaking scary. And like, the challenges and tribulations that you go through will hopefully equip you with this thick skin for you to keep pushing forward. So like, I've gone through my own hardships as it relates to fundraising. And yes, I've heard a bunch of other crazy stories, but at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, tough markets exist. What does that mean? That just means you as a startup founder, you have to adapt. Like that is literally like your MO as the startup CEO. Like you have to adapt better and faster than anybody else. And that is the only way you win. And if you don't want to adapt, cool, then you can die and that's fine too. And no one will remember you. So like what I think about more about like, Hey, what is it like raising in a tough market? To be honest, it's not that different given the perspective, right? It's not that different than raising in a good market. Just the startup founder has to change the mindset. Right. And like the way I think about that is like, just get ready for pain in a tough market, you are going to need to get ready for pain and you're going to need to be okay with that. Right. You're going to need to swallow your pride. And you're going to have to go with the flow. You don't want to optimize for what might make you feel good or what might make your ego feel better. All you need to do as the startup founder CEO is optimize to stay alive. That's it. 
Yeah. You'll figure it all out later. But like if you're trying to optimize for valuation or this or that and the other thing, like, listen, you're going to be able to get there as long as you have that grit and hustle, right? Like all of that stuff is water under the bridge. Yeah, I actually don't think I ever told you this story, but um, I was, you know, one of your many phone calls during the pandemic as you were thinking through the fundraise. And there was this one particular moment where I just think your perspective on this is so great. And there was this one moment where I called you and I just knew by the things you said on the other side of the phone, like to your point too, I didn't know if this was going to be Novo's last day. And the way you talked about it, you were just like, I don't care what the terms are. I don't care who's funding it. Like, I believe so deeply in building this company that like, I'm just going to do whatever it takes. Like, that's it. I'm just going to take yep. whatever it takes to, to live to see another day. So I think that's a really good Exactly. Like if you think in illogical extremes, it's like at the end of the day, startups, you're either going to be a zero or a one. That's it. Yep. If you're a one, great. Awesome. Everyone's going to make money. It's going to be wonderful. If it's a zero, cool. It's a learning experience and you move on to something else. And hopefully your next thing is a one. Yeah. But like the more you waste time, intermittently to try and squeeze the most juice out of lemon. Sure, it might benefit you marginally in the long run, but like, is it worth it? Probably not because you could be focused elsewhere. So how do you know if it's a zero one, right? You started not by taking VC money, by bootstrapping. So tell us how that felt and how did you decide this was definitely the thing that you want to spend your life doing? To your point, every day above ground is is a day that we should all be grateful for. So how did you decide this is what I want to spend my time on? Listen, that's a, another amazing question. Um, I'm going to answer that in kind of like two parts though. So yes, we bootstrapped for the first two and a half, three years. Um, definitely a big sense of humble beginnings, right? Like my co-founder and I, we didn't even pay ourselves for almost the first three years of the business. We slept on couches, slept in garages, wherever we needed to just to make ends meet, Right. We spun up our indie operation like we were paying them, but like we couldn't afford to pay ourselves and we couldn't afford to hire anyone else in the US. That said, though, I think like bootstrapping is one of the most discounted ways to build a business because if done right, like with a very high dose of humility, right, you need to be super humble as you're bootstrapping because you don't know where your limited amount of cash is going to be you know, necessary to invest and a ridiculous amount of grind, right? I honestly believe that bootstrapping is an incredible competitive advantage because you just think differently, right? You think about, hey, you're spending your own money. Like whatever that thing is that you're building, by the time your money is out, which is a finite thing, it could be your savings, what have you, like you need to have built something which unlocks that next phase. And so just that mindset and that muscle that you build about being very cash conscious is very different than kind of like what is all glorified now in the startup ethos of like massive, massive, massive rounds and this, that, and the other thing. And so if I had to do it all over again, I would have done the same thing. And I would actually encourage other people, hey, bootstrapping is not bad. I actually believe that that's one of the better ways to start a company because it teaches you so many lessons. It also keeps you close to the customer. I think one thing when I diligence Nova, I was just so impressed with how much the customers really loved Novo and how they really felt like you understood their pain. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, everyone loves to talk about SMB and small to medium sized business. But the truth is, most of the things that VCs back and most of the companies we all know as unicorns and massive growth companies are truly the MMB. Very few things are built truly on the S and the very small businesses. It's kind of thought of as tough to acquire and there's no willingness to pay. So 
tell us, you know, dispel that myth for us and tell us if that made it harder to fundraise because, you know, people don't always like it when you're going after the truly small. It's so funny because Tyler and I talk about this all the time. And I'm going to start this out by kind of positioning it another way, right? Like if you fast forward into the future and you fast forward five years into the future and Nova is this massive, massive, massive success, multi, multi multi-billion dollar company, blah, 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 blah. Nova's success is going to seem so obvious to everyone. They're going to be like, well, obviously there's a massively successful business, like small business banking. Like, yeah, they're the economic engine of this country that keeps pushing it forward. They account for 50% of the GDP, blah, 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 blah. The list goes on and on and on. Why wouldn't they be successful? Right? But that, that is like the antithesis of what we have had to deal with for the last five years. Because everyone discounts that segment. The vast majority of VCs that I've even spoken to just didn't even understand or grasp the concept that that was even a real market, right? It wasn't like a viable market to go after because there's just either individual retail consumer or like what you said, right? Like MMB. It's like medium business and up. It's like office of the CFO and up controller and up. And yet the vast majority of all businesses that exist are nowhere close to that. Right. And so it was really, really hard because like you, you, you're trying to like teach people this segment of the market that exists, which is very powerful with them being so far removed from that actual customer demographic itself. Yeah. It's not even VCs, right? The discount. I mean, banks, part of my diligence, I talked to a major, yep. major bank that was like, yeah, we just put SMB under consumer, which is clearly not the same thing, but it's just treated as the same. So I'm really glad you're actually building a product for small businesses. But j- last question on fundraising. You know, you mentioned it can be hard to tell the story. I think some people, you know, they see the TechCrunch article that Nova raised 90 on 700 and it just looks really easy to do. And as we've said, you've had really hard moments, but even outside of raising a pandemic, as you mentioned, fundraising is hard. Like, what does that look like? How many no's do you get? How many yeses do you get? You know, tell us how the rounds typically feel. So if you rewind the clock back to the seed round, so we're March 2019 when the world is like still normal. The seed round was an interesting round. It was definitely more of like investing on the idea, right? The thesis that underlied the idea and the fact that Tyler and myself didn't seem like axe murderers. Like that's effectively probably what like the the investor memo said, right? <laughs> like fast forward to the Series A, right? We we're proving everything. We built all this infrastructure. This seed investors were happy. Then the COVID thing happened. The bridge round happened. Fast forward to early last year on the Series A, and it was incredibly difficult, right? So we were faced with that uphill battle of like, hey, SMB is this market that you should care about, but people don't care. And what was interesting about the Series A itself was like. People didn't believe me when I told them about the business. People actually even questioned my ethics as it related to the ridiculous growth that we were seeing. And I still can't even believe that, but it, yes, it actually happened. All in all, the Series A was a very, very, very hard one. We had over 100 no's. 100 no's. That is a lot of rejection over and over. And then again, you have another moment where you don't know if the company is going to make it. And then you go on to raise a Series A and a Series B and you continue to grow. And I mean, the growing pains, I'm sure we could spend four hours just talking about that, so we won't. But you know, you went from 5,000 businesses with 10 million in deposits in 2019 to 150,000 businesses and 450 million in deposits today. So I can't even imagine the organizational and structural growing pains that come along with that. 
It's it's a lot for sure. And we went from last year we were at about 30 employees at this point in time and now we're you know north of 160 employees globally. So yeah, that pressure tests literally everything. So from every angle, right? Fundraising, actually building the company, growing a team, the psychological journey of being a founder, it's really hard, right? So what what advice do you have to someone who's starting a company? <laughs> This is always a very like funny question for me um, because it's not usually what people want to hear. It's definitely probably pretty dissimilar to what they expect. Um, first off, I want to say that, you know, people in the press generally like very much over romanticize being a founder, like first and foremost, being a founder and just starting a high growth startup, right? Everyone focuses on these massive fundraising um, rounds and all that stuff. And it really obfuscates like the, the early days, right? Like the hustle, the grind, the sacrifices. And this might sound exaggerated, but I, I just personally like to think in the logical extremes as a founder, like you really need to think through a reality, like a future reality for yourselves. If, if you want to be a high growth founder, Right, where you literally have to sacrifice every single one of your relationships with everyone around you in exchange for this just maniacal focus on building your business. If that scares you, if even just the faintest idea of that scares you, you probably shouldn't build a high growth startup. There's so many other careers that don't require that trade-off that you can build a great living. Or maybe you just build a lifestyle business, like a lifestyle small business, which also doesn't have those trade-offs, right? But like as a high-growth startup founder, you see that you have a limited amount of time that your eyes are open during the day. And like 99% of that time needs to be focused on molding this little like fetus of a business into something formidable that other people can also buy into. And if you don't, guess what? There's someone else who is doing that. And it's going to be an uphill battle for you as you kind of compete with those other people who are sacrificing more. And how do you maintain your sanity and those relationships? I know your wife, she's amazing. Um, you have a great co-founder and Tyler. You know, How do you actually keep good relationships as you're trying to do that? Yeah. As a startup founder, you, you have little excess bandwidth, right? For literally anything else in your life. That's why you've heard, and I'm sure many people listening to this podcast have heard, that it's a very lonely path. It's reserved for like these relatively just crazy people who are willing to sacrifice many of the benefits that exist in the modern social world of being a human being, right? As a, as a startup founder, you have to literally voluntarily give that a lot of that stuff up. So how do I maintain the relationships? Well, I'm like obsessively focused on like who I invest that time with number one, which would be, you know, my team, you know, the Novo team, my co-founder, my wife and my immediate family, but everything and everyone else, I know this probably sounds a bit ridiculous, but like everything and everyone else sits in the backseat for now. Might that change later? Sure. But like for now, like I know this is where I need to be in order to achieve some semblance of sanity. And lastly, you know, my wife more specifically is literally the best partner I could have ever found to be along this journey with me. And I just can't emphasize enough how important that person plays 
in the role of being a startup founder. So being incredibly selective on, you know, your partner, your spouse, as well as your co-founder. Obviously, co-founder relationships are incredibly, incredibly important too. But your wife or husband, partner, et cetera, like it, it, they play such a critical, critical role to help you as a startup founder kind of navigate these times as well. Yeah, she's amazing. And I think you do need people like that in your corner. So last question for you. I could talk to you all day, but we're going to run out of time. What makes it worth it, right? If the sacrifice is so huge and it requires so much time, why do you do this with your one wild and precious life and what makes it worth it? This is something that I think about all the time and literally every single person on my team asks me this question. And I've also had, you know, six plus years to reflect on it. And I have the awareness to know that I definitely have a chip on my shoulder, a big one. Like I have a big chip on my shoulder from my past. But the fire inside is a little bit different from other people, I think. The thing that drives me more than anything else in my entire career is this concept of being the underdog. After going through my accident, right, I was told by countless doctors, hey, you'll never get back to where you were. Don't even try. And as I told you earlier, like I told them pound sand and it was like, cool, like I'm going to do it anyway, right? Like I'm going to do it anyway and I'll, I'll show, I'll show you just watch me. And so like expanding beyond just my personal story, right? It's like Novo can also be viewed as the underdog in the industry as we go up against some of the biggest, most powerful companies in the entire world. Our customers are also underdogs as they go up against very big companies, right? And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So like what drives me and what makes, what, what allows me to kind of like put up with my everyday life is this idea of showing people to never underestimate the underdog and to build tools that arm the underdog toward victory. And like, that's one of the driving forces in my life that I want to kind of bring to the world. And I think Nova is the exact vehicle to do that. That's a beautiful description of the Novo mission. So I will, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for being with us today here, Michael. If anyone wants to join Michael on his underdog journey, or if you're a small business looking for a bank, check out Novo.co. If you want more stories like this, go to kindredcapital.vc backslash founders uncut. And as always, if you're a founder and the journey is hard, you're not alone. You heard it here. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Being a founder is just hard. Even the most successful founders face fear, doubt, and unbelievable difficulties that never make the headlines. Thanks for joining us today. And if Michael's story resonated with you, join us for more stories like this on Founders Uncut. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Maria. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. <laughs> to be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.